KPRA podcasts cover topical research discussions, industry commentary, and more. As we continue to expand globally, KBRA Podcast is a go-to source for intimate briefings directly from our knowledgeable team members. Good day, and thank you for joining us on this podcast to share KBRA's views on a trend in the insurance sector that receives a lot of media attention and is also a key influence on other aspects of the industry. The trend we will discuss is mergers and acquisitions, and we will focus primarily on how this trend is playing out in the life insurance sector, including what impact the current pandemic could have. My name is Peter Giacconi, and I am a Managing Director and the leader of KBRA's insurance practice. And I am joined today by my colleague, Donna Halberstadt, a Managing Director with over 30 years of credit experience in the insurance field. Let's jump right in. It seems like M&A generally is a long-running trend in the insurance industry. Is that the case? Yes, absolutely. If you look at any particular year, though, the aggregate deal volume can fluctuate a lot. It can be very lumpy. But if you look at the number of transactions, over the past decade or so, it's not been unusual to see anywhere from about 15 to 30 deals per year in the life sector, and roughly twice that in the PC sector, and multiples of that in the insurance brokerage sector. So that also tells you that these deals are not all front page headlines type deals. There are also a number of smaller deals that get done. So what drives all that M&A activity? Well, there can be a whole host of reasons, and I'll mention some drivers from both sides of the coin. Oftentimes, buyers are searching for growth in an industry where organic growth can be hard to come by. They also may be looking to bolster product or distribution or technology or geographic footprint. On the other side of the coin, sellers are often looking to refine their business mix by divesting non-core businesses and enhancing focus on core lines where they have a better business profile and can produce the types of results they'd like to see. At KBRA, these transactions and the motivations that drive them can provide helpful insights as we assess credit risk. Moving from insurance M&A generally to a specific type of M&A that has surfaced over recent years, the trading of legacy blocks of business. Would you shed some light on what's going on there? Um, Sure, a lot is going on there. In fact, I find it a fascinating niche within the overall M&A market. Over the past several years, a number of management teams of publicly traded insurers have engaged in strategic restructuring with the goal of reshaping their business portfolios to create less capital-intensive businesses with higher returns, as well as with less capital and earnings volatility. In many instances, such restructuring meant seizing new sales, exiting the line of business, or even putting a block into runoff and or selling it. Blocks of businesses that are particularly capital intensive and or volatile include variable annuities, especially those with generous guarantee features, fixed annuities, life insurance, and long-term care. Over recent years, there have been a handful of notable transactions in the VA space. You just mentioned some notable transactions. Can you provide some examples? Um, Sure, happy to. Um, In fact, let's look at 2018. The variable annuity sector saw significant activity during 2018 including sales of closed blocks of VAs, i.e. the Hartford and Voya deals, and the sale via IPO of an ongoing business that includes a significant VA business. In May of 2018, Hartford completed its sale of Talcott Resolution, its runoff life and annuity business, to a group of investors led by Cornell Capital, Atlas Merchant Capital, and others. Also in May of that year, AXA SA, a global multi-line insurer and asset manager, announced the completion of the IPO of AXA Equitable Holdings, describing it as a key milestone in the group's transformation. Then in June of 2018, 
Voya sale of Viac and its closed block variable annuity business was completed. In that deal, Voya divested substantially all of its variable, fixed, and fixed indexed annuities. The acquirer was venerable, which KBR rates. Voya, Hartford, and OXA US each had significant VA businesses. The Hartford and Voya sales were of closed blocks. OXA US is an ongoing business. Focusing on variable annuities for a moment, how would you describe some of the particular challenges with VAs? Sure. And some of these challenges really surfaced during the last global financial crisis with the plunge in equities and the ensuing long-running decline of interest rates. Hedging was not as effective as it could have been, and generous guarantees on the VAs were significantly in the money, leaving many insurers under-reserved as they faced a spike in net amount at risk. Insurers responded by enhancing hedging and trying to accelerate runoff through various programs offered to contract holders. Another issue with variable annuities was a misalignment among gap and regulatory accounting that led to significant volatility in earnings and capital, a challenging scenario in particular for publicly traded companies. And while VA businesses had been de-risked by many, there are still legacy blocks of businesses outstanding, and we may well see more of these trades, both through outright sales as well as through reinsurance. Given some of the challenges you mentioned related to VA blocks, what types of buyers are interested in taking on those challenges? You know, that's an interesting question, and one that also points to another ongoing insurance industry trend, that of private investors, including private equity firms, investing in a sector they find attractive. It's not unlike similar trends we have seen in other markets, such as corporate credit. Private investors have invested in and acquired both ongoing insurance businesses, as well as runoff blocks. Specific to VAs, that space has drawn the interest of investor groups who believe that such blocks are better housed within privately held entities rather than in publicly traded companies. Opportunities for private buyers include consolidating a number of legacy blocks over time to create synergies in the cost of administering the blocks of business, as well as in optimizing both the liabilities and the related invested assets. The transactions may be completed through actual acquisitions and or through reinsurance transactions. Importantly for VAs, when in private hands, these blocks can be hedged with a long-term perspective and a focus on economics and regulatory capital stability rather than on hedging to reduce short-term reported gap earnings volatility. So from a credit perspective, what do you see as some of the implications for ratings of companies that participate in the M&A market? Well, at KBRA, we take a holistic approach to credit analysis, and we would consider both the financial implications as well as the strategic objectives of the transaction to assess the impact on financial strength and credit ratings. However, there is no black and white answer to M&A's impact on credit ratings, as it will depend on the facts and circumstances related to any particular transaction. Let me give you a few examples to illustrate the it depends nature of my answer. If a transaction removes a distraction, Titan's management focus on its core business, and the proceeds of the sale are deployed in a credit-responsible manner, the rating outcome could be neutral to positive. On the other hand, if a sale removes the largest and most profitable portion of a business, and the sale proceeds are used in a way that increases the company's risk profile, the rating outcome could be negative. Looking at implications for buyers, if an acquisition makes strategic sense, enhances certain aspects of an insurer's business or financial profile, and is funded in a credit-responsible way, then the ratings outcome could be neutral to positive. On the other hand, if an acquisition does not make strategic sense, is not synergistic, and is financed in a financially aggressive manner, the rating outcome could be negative. KBRA's methodology is flexible, focuses on both quantitative and qualitative determinants, and allows for the incorporation of these and other aspects of M&A.
So back to where we started. The answer to the question of M&A ratings implications is it depends. KBRA has published a great deal of research on COVID and the implications of the crisis for a host of industry sectors, including insurance. What do you see as the impact of COVID on insurance M&A? Well, when you have a challenging economic environment and the financial and operational challenges of a pandemic, it makes intuitive sense that the management teams would be in the bunker, making sure that their day-to-day -day businesses are operating as well as possible within the constraints imposed by COVID. So a short-term pause on strategic initiatives, including M&A, would not be surprising. However, we also would not be surprised to see a relatively quick return to strategic initiatives as management teams pivot from dealing with COVID-related challenges to taking advantage of opportunities that present themselves. The challenging times may spur some sellers to focus or refocus on parts of their business that truly are not core and that they'd like to divest. And at the same time, buyers will be focused on looking for opportunities as they present themselves. Back to annuities. Uh, you've talked a lot about variable annuities, but what about fixed annuities? Has there been M&A activity in the fixed annuity space? Yes, absolutely. In fact, the most recent such announcement was just a week or two ago when Pru PLC announced a U.S. reinsurance agreement along with a $500 million equity investment by Athene into Pru PLC's U.S. business which includes Jackson National Life, a top two annuity provider, and PPM America. Over 27 billion of Jackson National's in-force fixed and fixed indexed annuity portfolio will be fully reinsured by a theme. The transaction overall strengthens Jackson's capital base and enhances its ability to grow. Commenting on a theme generally, a theme has been an active player over the years. From its founding through year-end 2019, it grew total assets to over $146 billion, primarily through acquisitions and block reinsurance transactions. Its two product lines are annuities and funding agreements, with annuities being the primary product line, which in turn is comprised mainly of fixed index, fixed rate, and group annuities issued in connection with pension risk transfer transactions. Another that has been active in the insurance space is Guggenheim. Among other acquisitions, they acquired Security Benefit Life in 2010, reinsured 100% of the policies of Standard Life Insurance of Indiana in 2011, and in 2011 announced that certain of its affiliates would acquire Equitrust Life Insurance Company. Global Atlantic has also been a major player in the life and annuity space. They started in 2004 as Goldman Sachs Reinsurance Group and separated from GS in 2013 when they incorporated as Global Atlantic Financial Group. Over the years, the company supplemented its reinsurance solutions business with inorganic growth, which has included, among others, its acquisition of America Life in 2005, its acquisition of Aviva U.S. life insurance business from Athene in 2013, and its acquisition of Forethought Financial in 2014. Forethought had purchased the Hartford's annuity division in 2013. The foregoing represent just a few examples. There are many other investors active in the insurance space and many other life and annuity insurers who have been acquired by or reinsured by others. We've talked a lot about strategic transactions, particularly sales of closed blocks in the life insurance industry, more specifically in the annuity space. Are you seeing companies being formed to acquire runoff closed blocks in other insurance or related sectors? Yes, definitely. The acquisition of closed blocks or runoff businesses is not confined to annuities. Runoff players have also started up for other lines of business. One example is Premier Re, which was established in 2017. It focuses on acquisitions and insurance transactions in the property casualty runoff market. Premier Re is rated by KBRA. 
Another example is Fortitude Re, a composite reinsurer of legacy portfolios. It was also formed as a company in 2017, but its origin dates to 2016 when AIG created a legacy portfolio of discontinued lines of commercial PC and life insurance business as a non-core segment. So any closing thoughts on whether the next 12 months will be busier or slower for M&A? None of us has a crystal ball, but crises can spur introspection that drive action, including reconfiguration of business mix, and crises can also foster opportunity. But there are always significant factors to overcome in any M&A transaction, not the least of which are social factors in the bid-ask spread on transaction valuations. So, short of having a crystal ball, all of us at KBRA will have to wait to see what the next 12 months bring. Thank you, Donna, and thank you to all our listeners who joined us today. We hope you found today's podcast uh, informative and helpful. I encourage you to reach out to me, Peter Giacconi, or Donna Halverstadt, or any other member of the KBRA Insurance Ratings Team, if we can be of further assistance to you. Our contact information is listed on our website, www.kbra.com. Have a good day.